Here's one of the things where I feel like women really get trapped is that we covet, we reward, we admire the very things in parenting culture that then make wine the reward that you need. So in other words, the busier you are, the more perfect you are, the more that you can balance it all, right? We can have it all. All of that stuff, even though we can say, oh, look, you can't have it all, and we've realized that it's impossible for parents to do everything, we say that, but I really don't think that our culture embraces that at all. I think the message is still that you're supposed to have it all. And do it all. And do it all perfectly, and have everybody sort of admire you. The humble brag on Facebook of sort of like, oh my gosh, I'm so busy, look what we're doing. That message is still so embraced in our culture for women. Welcome to Fluster Clucks with Lynn Lyons, where we talk about a family's anxiety and other big feelings. Serious stuff without being too serious. I'm your co-host Robin, and I'm Lynn's sister-in-law, and I'm here to ask your questions. And I'm Lynn Lyons. I'm an anxiety expert, speaker, mom, and author, and I've been a therapist for over 30 years. Parenting can be a fluster clucks, and I'm here to help you find your way, and I'll even tell you what to say. Rob and I was doing a presentation this week. I was out on the road a little bit. I was talking to this second grade teacher, and I told her when I talked to her, I said, I'm going to talk about this on the podcast. She told me two interesting things that I hadn't even thought of, because second graders, they really, they didn't get a lot of kindergarten and they totally missed kindergarten and they totally missed out on first grade. So she said, it's interesting to see where they're behind. She said, there are two things that they don't know how to do. They don't know how to hold it. Like when they have to go to the bathroom, they haven't been in school at all. and They've always had access to a potty whenever they want to go to the bathroom. So they don't know how to hold it. They have to go to the bathroom in the moment right then they have to go to the bathroom. She said, that's very different for second graders. And the other thing she told me is they just want to eat all the time. <laughs> she said she said she had to send a letter home to parents saying like they're having breakfast, they're having snack, they're having lunch, but they want access to food all the time and she says because they have spent these 2 years at home. Yeah, like being able to pee and eat whenever they wanted to. <laughs> Isn't that so interesting? I never thought about that, but I thought that was funny. I wonder if that's really limited to second grade. I have a feeling that a lot of the kids wanted to eat all the time. Yeah, even like in 10th grade. Yeah, absolutely. I just thought that was so funny. And she said also they'll just get up and start walking around in the middle of a lesson. Like they don't know <laughs> that they're supposed to sit in their seats. She'll say like, hey, where are you going? And they're like, oh, I'm putting my sweatshirt away. Yeah, no, I'm talking right now. She said they're just walking around and peeing and eating and they'll catch up. They'll catch they'll up. They'll catch up. I used to do that too. I used to wet my pants a lot because I would be really busy. I didn't want to miss anything. I didn't want to miss anything. So I would like run to the back door and I'd be like, I got to go, I got to go. And oh, yeah. <laughs> and I just go to the bathroom. But I got over it. So you wet your pants a lot even before having babies. That's probably not an accurate way to say it. I think there was a period of time probably between the ages of maybe like four and seven. And then I think there was a really good period of not wetting my pants. And then the post-childbirth laughing, wetting the pants came back. Yeah, I wasn't going to include that. Yeah, it's a, bi <laughs> it's a bimodal distribution. <laughs> <laughs> 
So speaking of going on the road, I'm super excited to share that registration is now open for our next retreat that is family friendly. It is in Orlando at the Four Seasons, one of my favorite resorts ever. They've given us an incredibly discounted room rate, and we're going to do our retreat at the Four Seasons where Lynn will give two morning workshops and we have all sorts of amazing exclusive Disney experiences included. So hope to see you there. You can find it on the Fluster Clucks website under the retreat section. September 30th to October 2nd are the event dates and you can extend your stay or arrive a little early. Yeah. So for those of you who don't know, I mean, this is what Robin does. This is her day job. She's a travel advisor and she creates these incredible family experiences. So this is right in her sweet spot. It's going to be really, really great. I'm really fusing everything that I love into one weekend. So I do think it's going to be amazing. I'm fused in, I count, as one of the things she loves. What are we talking about today, Lynn? Well, this is kind of a little bit of a, what would you say? It's sort of a difficult topic. It's kind of a touchy topic, I think. Because one of the things that I've been paying attention to, and I've been seeing the research come in, is women and alcohol, and in particular, the mommy wine culture. The statistics after and during the pandemic are pretty alarming. So I thought, all right, let's just dive in. Let's just wade in. I think it deserves some discussion. I have to say that when I told my family, like, hey, guys, can you be quiet? Lynn and I are going to record the episode. And my daughter was like, what's the episode going to be on? And I said, it's going to be on the mommy wine culture. So my daughter was like, that's such a thing. Oh my gosh, I love wine more than my kids. Where did that come from? My daughter was very well aware of this mommy wine culture. And when you say that phrase to me, I picture all the ways you can go to Etsy and order custom wine tumblers and rose gold Mm -hmm. with your name on it. And you can have all of these gifted wine tumblers with everyone's name for bridal showers or mom's getaways. It's like the mom and the sippy cup, the mom Mm -hmm. and the wine cup. Whenever there's so much product that supports this culture, I just think that's interesting. I think if you listen to this podcast, you know that I have a pretty darn good sense of humor and that I think that people are serious about things too much of the time and I roll my eyes a lot at sort of the earnestness of my profession. You know that I am like that. But when it comes to this mommy wine culture, I do notice that my sense of humor sort of takes a little bit of a nosedive because I'm seeing these products, these Etsy products that are really glamorizing the use of wine and the use of alcohol. And the thing that we want to pay attention to is this phrase that you see in the research that is really indicative of a problem, which is drinking to cope. It's all about like, oh my God, my kids are so terrible. I need wine to cope. The memes. Yeah, the memes. Yeah. And it's like t-shirts and all this stuff that really says the only way that I can manage motherhood is by having a bottle of wine. And I think it's a destructive message. And I think the statistics about women and alcohol use are backing me up on this. Like I have reason to be concerned. It's not just me saying, I think women are drinking too much. The statistics are pretty alarming. What statistics did you just discover? All right. So here's one of the statistics. Alcohol use disorder. They used to call it substance abuse. Now the term we use now is alcohol use disorder. 
The rates of alcohol use disorder have increased in women by 84% over the past 10 years, and that's relative to a 35% increase in men. What? Yeah. And both of those numbers are alarming, right? Even if I just said 35% increase in people, I think that would get our intention, but an 84% increase in women over the past 10 years. There was another study that was released in September of 2020 that was looking at the first few months of the pandemic during the shutdown. Women reported increasing their heavy drinking episodes, and they defined that as four or more drinks within a couple of hours. That number increased by 41%. One of the reasons this is really important for us to pay attention to as women is that women who drink, they suffer far greater physical consequences and even cognitive consequences. And here's something that I thought was pretty interesting. And we sort of know this intuitively, but I thought this was pretty amazing. One of the things we know with women is that it impacts our ability to read emotional cues. It impacts our ability to figure out what's going on with people in social contexts, which women are generally pretty good at. So in terms of when we're looking at gender differences, we have that capacity. Oftentimes the research shows more than men. When you're drinking, it gets in the way. Now, anybody who has experienced hanging around people who are drinking know that that's the case. There's all these blow-ups and these misunderstandings and misreading things. And the research just shows that with women, this cognitive impairment, this social impairment is really impacting us quite a bit. That's a lot of information. All right. So I want you to think about that while we take a quick break. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. So when you're a parent, you're going to have your fair share of big talks with your kids, right? About all sorts of big topics. One of those big talks should involve money. And Greenlight can help with that. Greenlight is a debit card and a money app that's made for families. It allows you to do instant money transfers. You can get real-time notifications of spending. You can manage chores. You can automate allowance. I know with my kids, we really wanted to help them see the cause and effect, right? If you spend money now, you're not going to have it later. If you earn money now and you save it, maybe you can put it towards some big purchase that you're looking forward to. This is called financial literacy, and it allows kids to build independence, to learn how money works, to make them better savers, better spenders. The Greenlight app also comes with an in-app financial literacy game. It's called Level Up, so that kids can build money confidence through videos, bite-sized challenges, mini games, and more. More than 6 million parents and kids use Greenlight to learn how to make responsible financial choices. So stop putting off the money talk and start putting your kids on the right path. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash fluster. That's greenlight.com slash fluster to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash fluster. Do you think seeing a therapist or a psychiatrist would be helpful, but you don't have the time to actually find one? And then like, when do you have time to meet with them? Try Talkspace. By doing everything online, Talkspace has made getting the help you want easy, accessible, and affordable. 
It's in-network with most major insurers. There's no need to commute to appointments. You won't miss time at work or have to line up childcare in order to attend sessions. It's mental health care made easy. Talkspace lets you send messages to your therapist so you don't have to wait for your next session. Therapy can help you shift your perspective and find tools to cope in difficult times. Talkspace is the number one online therapy platform with licensed therapists in over 40 specialties, including anxiety, depression, substance abuse, relationship issues, and much more. As a listener of this podcast, you'll get $80 off your first month with Talkspace when you go to Talkspace.com slash Fluster. To match with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com slash Fluster to get $80 off your first month. That's Talkspace.com slash Fluster. Let's talk about when toxic cultures are normalized. Mm Mm-hmm. We've talked about this in the context of tracking your kids in order to be a good parent. For example, I'm such a good parent. I have to know where my kids are every second of the day. And there are plenty of devices ready to market and make you feel like a good parent in order to purchase them and then Mm -hmm. end up needing an anxiety evaluation later. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Mom's drinking wine It wasn't a thing, actually, when we were growing up. That wasn't culturally the same thing as it is now. I'm a Gen Xer. Mm -hmm. My parents, who were both alcoholics, Mm -hmm. when they were drinking and I was a kid, it was a lot of hard liquor and cocktails. Mm -hmm. But then wine sort of came in and the mom and the wine thing. I think there's just been so much marketing about it that that has, in fact, contributed to, oh, well, it's wine. Right. It's made it more acceptable. It's made it sort of your reward. It's made it something that you deserve. We've really given permission for moms to blame their kids for their drinking. And in fact, there is a company where you can get a personalized wine bottle label. You send in a picture of your child and you put it on the wine bottle. Like, I'm funny, and I have a great sense of humor. I do not find this funny. I just can't find this funny. It's called The Reason You Drink Personalized Wine Bottle. And it has a picture of your kid on it. That's screwed up to me. We're trying to say to women, parenting is hard. Being a mom is really hard. You need time with your friends. You need to be able to socialize. We get that. But then this introduction of sort of like the wine is the way that's going to help you cope, drinking to cope, that is really becoming normalized in a way. I think that I just want people to pay attention to that. An 80% increase in the last 10 years is really alarming. Really alarming. Yeah. It's not an 84% increase in women drinking. It's women experiencing alcohol use disorder and binge drinking women drinking a lot. You know, you know, I talk to kids all the time, particularly during the pandemic. And as we've gone through this, kids now, teenagers have said to me, I'm really concerned about how much my mom is drinking. Or I hear the way my mom talks about alcohol. And my mom seems to be really into it. Like she's really craving it. Like she really needs it. And it's almost like we've taken it out of sort of this secret thing that moms did right? They sort of had to hide it to this really open, I have to drink because my job is so stressful and you guys drive me nuts and this is what I deserve. 
That's a problem because that's one of the risk factors when we look at developing addiction. It's feeling and stating that you need it because it's a way for you to handle your stress, handle your emotions. If we take a step back from that statement, though, because obviously there are so many resources that are specific to responsible alcohol use, uh, ways to reduce your alcohol use. But when your stress is such that you are seeking ways to cope because you aren't managing your stress, this is where you fit in. This is where the anxiety expert has a lot to say. There's a systemic reason why we are choosing these coping patterns. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about that. What do you think the culture does? And what are the messages in that culture that make women immediately go to wine? What do you wish they would do instead? What is happening is that the rates of anxiety and depression are also going up. So remember, when we're looking at this 84% increase in alcohol use disorder, this is not separate from the, the rates of increase in anxiety and depression in parents feeling completely overwhelmed by everything that they have to do, this is a systemic problem, right? How do we get rid of these big feelings? How do we feel better? There are better choices than others. It's not about eliminating. It's not about getting rid of your feelings. If you have difficulty managing your stress, if you have difficulty being able to talk about and tolerate your feelings and your emotions, if you have difficulty connecting in an authentic way, then using wine becomes a way to lubricate all of those things. It seemingly can help you deal with your feelings by helping you relax, right? So short term, when you take a drink, it calms you down. You feel this effect. So it helps you relax. Alcohol in the short term helps you fall asleep. So if you're so stressed out that you're having difficulty sleeping and you drink at night, it will help you initiate sleep, but we know then you will wake up during the night. It doesn't long-term give you better sleep, but you feel that effect. If you are socially anxious or if you are having difficulty finding a way to connect with people, then wine becomes the social lubricant that may be at your book club. It becomes this thing that you use so that you can seemingly feel better, feel calmer, sleep better, have more fun in air quotes. And it just is this trap that you get into. Because even though in the short term, it makes you feel all those things, every one of those things, alcohol makes worse. It makes your connections worse. It makes your friendships more difficult. It makes your emotional management more difficult. It makes your sleep more difficult. This is the way that people get trapped in it. And this is why the marketing of it as this thing that's so helpful is so, so compelling and so dangerous. I mentioned that both my parents were alcoholics. So mm -hmm. my alcohol use is something that I take very seriously. As an adult, especially as a parent, I don't indulge that often. Mm-hmm. When I do, though, there are times that I think it's okay. I don't think it's always about all or nothing. And the thing that you were describing, what I kept imagining is if once in a while at the end of a day, we sat outside on our deck and we had one glass of wine where we immersed ourselves in nature and we were calm and we caught up and we could focus on each other, 
it's actually being in nature, having quiet, and then giving each other attention that is those things that would relieve the stress as opposed to the wine. And Mm -hmm. I think that that's kind of an interesting distinction, right? So like when you are truly in this place of calm and you're savoring something, but I can tell you as a kid growing up in a household where alcohol was a really big deal, when you have a problem, that's not how it looks. Right. First of all, there's sometimes like a frantic energy to make sure that you get it. So there's like nothing calm about it. Mm -hmm. And then when you have it, I wouldn't say that there's a lot of moments of being mindful if you use it as a coping strategy all the time. And I think that that's a differentiation we want to make because I am not sitting here saying nobody should ever drink. That's not the position that I take. But I also do take a position that says that because it is so rampant and because it is so impactful, that we really need to pay attention to how we're using it, and we need to pay attention to what we're modeling for our kids with it. It is certainly a part of many cultures. It's a part of many celebrations. It's a part of, you know, like you say, sitting out on the porch at night, having a delicious glass of wine, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But being able to talk to your kids or being able to model for your kids that it is a small part of what you do, not the goal of what you do. And I think that when you see people who have a problem with alcohol, and when I hear that language that says, oh, I need this in order to get through the day, or I've earned this because my life was so hard, that's what you really want to pay attention to. I drank for a short period of time, right? In my early college years, late high school years, drank for a short period of time. It became clear to me that it was not what I wanted to do. And I made a conscious decision to stop completely many, many years ago. My husband's family has an enormous amount of substance use issues in it. And so we've seen, we've been witness to close up and personal, just as you did when you were with your parents, how it impacts family gatherings, how it impacts connection how it impacts the way that you relate to people. And that's just something that I want parents to pay attention to, that as they're justifying their need for it, as they're justifying the benefits of it, see it through somebody else's eyes. I am telling you, kids know when their parents have had too much to drink. Oh my gosh. I was so skilled even when I moved out of state and I was older. I could even predict exactly how many drinks my parents had by the smallest amount of language spoken. Like I was so good at picking it up. Yeah. You were so acutely aware of the changes in their personality. It might have been even the changes in the way their face looked, the changes in the language that they used. Yeah. There's just like a the language changes. You know, I had this epiphany while you were saying that. I would say, and, and, I, and I have heard other people say this, that they loved all the members of their family, but when they were all together, it wasn't that awesome. Like it just wasn't that fun, but they enjoyed everyone one-on-one. Truthfully, that was my experience. I was very close to every member of my family, but my family gatherings felt very disconnected. They weren't engaging to me. And now I realize it's because one-on-one, if I'm going to the grocery store with an aunt or with a grandmother, or I'm taking a neighborhood walk with my grandfather or my mom, 
it was a non-drinking activity and we got really close. The second you put us around a table and everyone was drinking and I was a kid, everyone had a, a different mask on and there wasn't any authentic connection. Yeah. I mean, and I think when you think about family gatherings, probably many people listening because it's so common, many people listening have a family member or several family members that struggle with this. And you may have memories from your childhood of who was going to be out of control. Who did we need to pay attention to? Who was going to break something? Who was going to pass out? Who was going to be obnoxious? And start a fight. Who's going to start a fight, right? Who was going to be fun, right? There was also sort of like, oh, he's the funny drunk. Who were we going to have to take the keys away from? So it becomes sort of these family events are not how are we going to have fun together and how are we going to connect, but how are we going to monitor who is in trouble with their alcohol use and who isn't? And I think a lot of times that falls to the kids. A lot of times that falls to the kids and a lot of families. And maybe, again, people listening are thinking like, yeah, that was my role. Yeah, there are a lot of saffies to their moms who were Adina, if anyone watched AbFab. Did you watch AbFab? No. What? Is this something else I haven't watched? Should I lie about this too? Yeah, I watched AbFab. Oh, absolutely fabulous? Yeah. Yeah, no, I never watched it. So it was a British series about two fashion editors that were absolutely the party girl alcoholics and the daughter of one of them because she was the daughter of such a crazy partying mom. You know, she was like an inner 60-year-old. This was a little autobiographical. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> so the show was, was pretty funny. But I mean, there's a truth to that, too. Yeah. Nothing will age your kids more quickly than letting them feel like they have to be in charge of the house for their own safety. As people are listening, they're saying like, oh, my God, is she saying I'm an alcoholic? Is she saying that I have a problem with alcohol? No, some of you might actually. I mean, the odds are with it. But what I'm really saying is just pay attention to how your connection with your family members and even your connection with your friends is impacted by alcohol. And are you using alcohol as a way to seemingly make things easier for you? And does that really happen? Is it really happening that when you are drinking, how often do you feel regret? How often do you say, oh, I shouldn't have done that? How often do you wonder if you said the wrong thing? How often did you misinterpret something? How often was there a conflict that now you have to go back and repair? Just pay attention to that because I'll tell you, your kids are paying attention to it. Your kids are paying attention. For the sake of my own personal research, mm -hmm. I want to get hammered for a reason now. I mean, like, because I'm now fascinated by this. Because I've done the anxiety audit through this podcast, I know that like my anxiety pattern shows up as catastrophizing. Mm -hmm. I don't remember the last time I've been intoxicated. It's been a really long time. I'm curious now with that insight, because over the years of us doing this podcast, I'm very good now at recognizing all of my catastrophizing patterns of where they'll show up on different content, mm -hmm. different things in my life. I'm curious if I were drunk would I be catastrophizing? Yeah, I don't know. Would I catastrophize about something ridiculous? Would I just not catastrophize? I mean, now I'm just kind of curious. Yeah. Well, we can do an experiment. <laughs> we, can do, we can do an experiment. We'll we record it. We can do a it. podcast. We can do a podcast. <laughs> we just have you 
drinking wine and I'll just listen and see. I'll just ask you about things. No, but I mean, I, I think that's that's an interesting point is that we all have these patterns. All of us mm-hmm. do. Are we ruminators? Are we catastrophizers? Are we just always in the state of overwhelm? Does the alcohol actually address and numb some of these patterns? There's another way to deal with the patterns, obviously, which is what you are saying. But I think that for those of you who do enjoy your wine and you do have some awareness about your patterns, think about that. I also think for me, I'm always so interested in when our culture normalizes things that really shouldn't, we should really all stop and think about the fact that we have normalized moms drinking wine as a social Mm -hmm ongoing coping way and the number of women who are now reported to have alcohol use issues Mm -hmm. rising 80% in the last 10 years, that is a big deal. It is a big deal. And it only increased with men. 35%. 35%. Yeah. And you think about the last 10 years, right? You think about all of the things I talk about when I'm giving talks and I often say, in the last 10 years. Think about the changes we've experienced in the last 10 years. We think about the social changes. We think about the expectations. We think about what has happened in the world and in our country in the last 10 years. It is not a surprise that people are trying to find something that is socially acceptable in order to get rid of those difficult feelings, in order to manage the stress. Remember about alcohol too, is that it's socially disinhibiting. Alcohol really feels good if you're trying to step into situations, if you're trying to be social, that alcohol helps with that. What's interesting to me is that during the pandemic in which we couldn't be social, that heavy drinking, that binge drinking also skyrocketed with women. This is sort of the equal opportunity thing. You know, the joke that people make is they say, somebody says they're an alcoholic and they drink when their team loses and they drink when their team wins. So if you look at alcohol as a social lubricant, and then during a time when we were so socially disconnected that women started binge drinking more, goes back to those basics of how are we managing our life such that we are seeking these substances in order to get through. And to me, that's just, that's just sad, right? That this is the place that we've come to, that we feel so disconnected or we feel so lonely or we feel so stressed out. This is the pattern that has increased. I am really working on improving my diet by making sure that I get the best quality products, organic foods, and I really want to make sure that I'm not using harsh chemicals in my home. Thrive Market is my go-to for all of my grocery and household essentials. The convenience of getting everything online and then quickly shipped to my doorstep That is a huge time saver. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and sourcing methods. They restrict hundreds of ingredients across their food and cleaning categories. I can use their filters to suit my lifestyle needs. So maybe you're looking for organic snacks for your kids, or maybe you're gluten-free. As a Thrive Market member, I save money on every single grocery order. You will too. On average, I save over 30% each time. They even have a deals page that changes daily, always has some of my favorite brands. 
When you join Thrive Market, you're also helping a family in need with their one-for-one membership matching program. You join, they give. So join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. Go to thrivemarket.com slash flusterclucks for 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash flusterclucks. Thrivemarket.com slash flusterclucks. How are those New Year's resolutions going? Well, many are destined to fail, but lucky for you, here's one easy resolution idea that we gave you that we can all make and it will make your life easier. It'll be kinder to our planet and it will transform the way you do laundry in 2024. And that is switching to EarthBreeze. EarthBreeze looks like dryer sheets, but it's ultra concentrated laundry detergent and it couldn't be easier. You just throw a sheet in with your laundry in any temperature and you watch it dissolve in any wash cycle hot or cold. There's no measuring, there's no mess, there's no fuss, there's no wasteful plastic jug. EarthBreeze fights everyday stains and odors, giving you an amazing clean every time. The best part is you'll never run out again thanks to EarthBreeze flexible subscription that you can adjust, pause, or cancel at any time with no hidden fees or penalties. And you'll save a whopping 40% when you subscribe. Shipping's always free and it comes in a slim cardboard envelope that saves a ton of space. So switching to EarthBreeze won't only make Make laundry day easier for you, but it will also be easier on the planet. So help me make plastic jugs a thing of the past. And if EarthBreeze doesn't end up being the 2024 update of your dreams, you don't even have to return it. Just let them know it's not for you and you'll get a full refund, no questions asked. Get started with EarthBreeze and save 40%. Go to earthbreeze.com slash flusterclucks. That's earthbreeze.com slash flusterclucks for 40% off your subscription. You know, we have a lot of listeners who, as a family, they're really committed to having a healthy emotional culture, stopping generational patterns that aren't helpful. They are really trying to manage big emotions, usually in the context of managing anxiety, but that also means managing anger, managing disappointment. Mm -hmm. If you, as a family, are doing that and you are raising kids who when something really bums them out or when they're really angry and they can do so in a healthy way, would you say that's the best defense and prevention of going to unhealthy coping strategies? So yes, absolutely. Because what we're really trying to teach our kids and model for our kids is that life has all sorts of ups and downs, right? There's a lot of pain and there's a lot of joy. There's a lot of suffering and there's a lot of excitement. And teaching kids how to manage their feelings and you modeling for them how to talk about it, how to get through it without stepping in and saying, well, we have to use this substance or we have to use this thing in order to get away from our feelings, in order to not talk about them, in order to ignore them. This is where anxiety and depression and substance use and all of this stuff, this is where they all come together is I need to find a way to not feel what I'm feeling. And when we can give kids permission to feel what they're feeling and to help them get through that and to know that they can do it in a loving, supporting environment, then we don't have to add alcohol to it. We don't. 
but we do because we're trying to figure out how to not feel this stuff. It all comes down to emotional management, doesn't it? And the other thing you said too that is so important is that for me, we're really looking at trying to interrupt these generational patterns. So when we look at anxiety, if you are an anxious parent, you're six to seven times more likely to have an anxious child. One of the hugest risk factors for developing depression is having a depressed parent, particularly a depressed mother. We know that alcoholism runs in families. All of these things, anxiety, depression, alcoholism, they all have risk factors. Some of them are genetic. They don't know exactly how this all works. Some of them are temperamental. An enormous amount of them are social and environmental. So I say to parents all the time, they say, well, is alcoholism genetic? There is definitely some sort of genetic push to it. So your job is to limit the likelihood. What's the best way to limit the likelihood that the alcoholism in your family gets passed down? One of the best ways to limit the likelihood is to not show to your kids that this is how we cope when things get tough. That this isn't the way that we both celebrate and deal with sadness. That alcohol is introduced as the way to manage our feelings. If we can just think about that. If we follow the culture, if we drink and we follow the culture that it's accepted that I'm a mom and I love my wine, I mean, the real danger of that is that that's the modeling that you're doing for your kids of the coping strategy. Even in not dramatic ways. So we can look at a family like yours where you were watching your parents drink alcoholically and you figured out as a kid how many drinks that they had had. But in more subtle ways, just a mom coming home after work and being like, oh, that day was so hard. Where is my wine? Like, oh, if I ever needed a glass of wine, it's right now. Like that's a message that's just as powerful. I still hear in my head because the phrase, I need a drink, I heard so much growing up. So when I have that a stress situation, I still say in my head, I need a drink, even though I don't take the drink because yeah. that was the generational model. Oh, I need a drink. So it's this impulse still to copy what was mm -hmm. modeled, but I consciously like, that's not what I do. Yeah. You know, my parents didn't drink, don't drink because of their experience growing up. And so I didn't have that modeled for me. This memory is so clear in my head. When I was a senior in high school and I had this little fling with this very handsome young boy who was happened to be the younger brother of one of my best friends. He broke my heart, broke my heart, and I went over to his house because I was hanging out with my best friend. And when I got there, of course, the mom and dad knew that he had broken my heart, and the mom met me at the door with a glass of wine. And I was 17 years old. And I remember that moment so clearly because it was so shocking to me that A, that as a parent, she would be meeting me at the door with a glass of wine. She was trying to help me with what she knew was my sadness. That was her solution. She didn't say to me, let me give you a big hug. She didn't say to me, oh my gosh, I am sorry my son is breaking your heart. 
She didn't say to me, come on in. I'm so glad you can come to my house, even though I know that he's breaking your heart. And he's not here, by the way, but we'll sit around and I'll help you. She handed me a glass of wine, which I didn't take, by the way, because it was so weird for me to have a parent hand that to me. It felt so awkward. Yeah, that is such a crystal clear memory in my brain. I still think that alcohol can be drunk in a healthier way than others. And Mm -hmm. I think that one of the distinct parts is if you are someone who drinks on occasion and in moderation, but it's always in the context of something different than the coping, I think that's key. So if you're having friends over for dinner and you have, and you are excited to drink this wine with your meal, or you're excited to have a glass of champagne to celebrate a wonderful news with other people, that's very different Yes. Then having alcohol be that role and described as the coping strategy. So that's the distinction. Yeah, that's the distinction. And that's what the research says, is that when people define that phrase, drinking to cope, which is what you heard growing up, I need a drink. Mm-hmm. That's what we have to pay attention to. And that's the message you want to make sure you're not giving your kids that message. You're not using that language because they will absorb that. If I can have this thing that helps me cope, if I can have this thing that makes me relax, that makes me fall asleep, that makes me more fun, that makes me this, why would they turn that down if they've gotten that message from you that this helps me cope, right? That's the distinction you want to make. And again, as I said at the beginning, we are talking about this topic You know, I have strong feelings about it, but I am recognizing also that there is that distinction to be made. I just feel like we've got to talk about it because it is so normalized. And the mommy wine culture, it's coming at me fast and furious. I am seeing it. I am hearing it. So I'm just saying to everybody, like, please pay attention to this because the marketing and the lure of it and the normalization of it is so powerful. The ability of alcohol to mess with families is so, so powerful. It's just so powerful. In your practice, Mm -hmm. what has been your experience where talking about parents drinking comes up in a kind of a typical way? And obviously, if they're seeing you in the practice, it's because they really do have an anxious child and they're trying to figure stuff out. So what happens? The families that you see in private practice, is alcohol use really common? I would say that pretty early on, I talked to families about how they use substances. That's something that I really want to learn early on, and I talked to the parents about that. People are pretty open with me about it, actually. Every once in a while, I'll sort of find out that it's going on and there's some denial about it. But surprisingly, actually, when people come in with their kids, unless they're lying to me, which they certainly could be. People are pretty open about it, and it's something that that I have actually found pretty easy to talk about with parents in terms of this modeling. And again, like this is a skewed sample because they're coming in and they're saying, like, we really want to interrupt this family pattern. So they're sort of primed when they come in. I have certainly had families where there is a very significant alcohol problem in one of the parents, and they are not anywhere close to addressing it you know, with divorced parents, there's one parent who's really got a problem and the other parent is trying to get the parent to address it and they won't. There've been some messy ones for sure. I'm sure it gets very much in the way 
a family's really trying to improve their dynamics. It absolutely gets in the way. Yeah, absolutely gets in the way. I think I said this, what I've been hearing more recently than I ever heard before is 13, 14, 17, 18-year-olds coming in and expressing concern over their parents' alcohol use, being concerned about it. Some of them don't want me to tell their parents that they brought it up with me. The older kids in particular, they're like, oh, I would never talk to my mom about this, but I think she's drinking too much. And then I have to, you know, I just have to figure out what to do next. I find it funny that we're talking about this, the same episode that we announced that our registration's open for our fall retreat. So now people are like, they're not going to serve alcohol. <laughs> so- <laughs> Ooh, they, they don't, they don't actually sound like that much fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, we are we're so much fun. We're so we're much so fun. We're so much fun. I, I yeah. know. Laugh till we cry. Laugh till yeah. we pee in our pants. Give me three cups of coffee and I am a wild woman. <laughs> <laughs> so funny enough, now that Lynn finally watched Inside Out, we're doing an Inside Out themed VIP party inside Epcot to watch the fireworks, this great dessert party. There will be alcohol there. So right. that's probably the only time that alcohol comes up. But during the workshops, we're going to stick with coffee and tea. Okay, that sounds good. Maybe some sparkling water. So register now and you'll learn all about the events and the weekend schedule at flusterclucks.com under the retreats tab. I promise it will be a great party. It will be a great party. And the theme is finding joy. So let's go find joy together. So join the Facebook group so that you can ask Lynn your question on an upcoming episode. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Fluster Clucks. Bye, Robin. Bye, Lynn. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.